Thank you for your participation in the service today so far. And I don't want you to stop. I want you to very clearly be participating now. In order to do that, I'm going to have you turn to a couple places in your Bibles. If you would turn first to Acts chapter 21 and mark your place there. Acts 21, and then mark your place there with something. And then if you would turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So turn to Acts 21, mark your place there, and then to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There are times when we look into God's word and it serves as a mirror to us. There are sometimes as I prepare to preach, and just even yesterday, uh, a woman in my neighborhood, wonderful Christian lady, she said, don't back off on preaching hard, preach hard. Having said that, um, there are times when I will approach it with an understanding that this could be stepping on toes. This could be difficult for some people to hear. I will not back off on that, but very much so. Many of you have learned that I do have a shepherd's heart. I do want for people here to hear the clear message of God's word, to sometimes hear things that are hard for them to hear, but I also want to make sure that it's done in love. We're going to attempt that today. Have I caught your interest at all yet? Is anybody nervous? Anybody nervous when we preach on things that might? Here's what happened. I'm looking at some of the applications for today and I'm saying, ooh, man, that might, that might bother a certain person. Uh, I look at another application, and then up to four or five applications, and I'm thinking, boy, this could really be tough. And so what I decided to do, for better or for worse, and you will be the judge, I know, uh, is I decided to put them all in there. We're just going to throw every one of those touchy, touchy details in there. Clearly, I need to stop and pause and ask for God's help as we jump into this. So would you please bow with me, and we'll ask God for his involvement. Heavenly Father, we look to you with an understanding that you knew this day would come. We praise you for your word, the beautiful record of the church beginning. We thank you for how they learned. We thank you for the state of confusion that I think oftentimes they were in. I praise you for your clear involvement as they moved forward and you accomplished your task. And I would pray for that today. That as we gather around your word, you'd be clearly involved that we would be able to love you more, accomplish the commission that you have given us even better because of our study. Would you please allow us now to focus on your word and may the Holy Spirit be present as our teacher very clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Next Sunday is graduation Sunday and promotion Sunday. Summer's just about here. Uh, some people are very glad for that. Some of you young people love that, that summer is here. And uh, we'll recognize um, some graduates next week. We're thankful to be able to do that. When we think of graduations, uh, graduations and graduates in particular, it's a step in their lives that hopefully will be a good step for them. As they look to the future, as they're wondering what to do, what the um, maybe uncharted territory ahead of them is going to have in it. Having said that, my mind went in the past week to a time when I was done with high school and I was ready to take the next step, ready to go to college. And as I was filling out an application for a Christian college, very much so on my mind was I wanted to make sure that they, that they accepted me. I wanted to do whatever I had to do to have them accept me. Now, it was a Christian college and you had to write out your testimony, which is your story of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And so as I wrote that out, it wasn't good enough. And I was thinking I might be rejected from the school I wanted to get in. And I had this great idea because I've heard before that some people have what we call a life verse. Does anybody in this room today have a life verse? Just raise your hand so I can see your hands. Anybody else? All right, I see, okay, uh, maybe in the dozens of a life verse. Well, I didn't have one at that point, but I thought, man, this is going to really help me out on my application if I get a life verse. And so I started in the Bible looking through that. Oh, boy, what are you going to pick? And I landed on Philippians 2.16, where um, the Bible tells us, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The idea behind a life verse is, verse is it's supposed to be kind of a philosophy for you as you move through life. And that's a good thing for us to tie ourselves to sometimes. I have seen with some churches that oftentimes they will have a verse, a verse that they will say, this is going to be a driving verse for us, maybe for a season in the church, maybe for week after week and year after year in the church. They will very possibly have some kind of a verse that drives their philosophy. That happens every once in a while. We are going to look at a passage in Acts 21 today where Paul refers to this. He talks about what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to read verses 19 through 22 of 1 Corinthians 9 as we start here. And then I'm going to take it and maybe shake some of us out of our comfort zone a little bit, hopefully just a little bit. Starting in verse number 19 of 1 Corinthians 9, the Bible says, Paul writes, For though I am free from all... I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ." that I might win those outside the law. And this verse 22 right here would be a theme verse for some churches as they move through to have an impact in their community. Verse 22 says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. There are some verses that we say sometimes, and they will, they will initiate a response within us it very well could be that you have heard someone use a bible verse and automatically you have a reaction maybe it's a good warm reaction to that maybe it's a negative reaction sometimes we'll hear somebody say judge not lest you be judged and right away some of you have something in your mind i know where this is going you might think to yourself as i look at some applications from this i have taken the idea behind 1 Corinthians 9.19, and I have put this in a more modern version that's going to apply to some of us that are here today. I put it on the screen for you, and what we're going to do is I'm going to read through these slides, and maybe it will um, touch on something that's important to you. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I didn't change that part. Here's what we changed. To those who dislike facial hair... I shave my mustache in order to win those who prefer the smooth shaven. To those who hold that card playing is wicked, I gave, up my play, I gave up playing poker and yet still attend Friday night bingo at First Memorial Church in order to help with the missionary fundraiser. 
To those who love polka music, I learned to play Kiss Me, I'm Polish on the accordion, and yet for those who keep themselves totally free from alcohol, I abstain from playing Roll Out the Barrel. For those who insist that church should be Come As You Are, I preach in my pajama pants on Sunday. And when I am, and when I am to prefer, uh, and when I am with those who prefer formal dress, I wear a suit and a tie. To those who stylishly preach from their iPads, I preach from my iPad. And to the KJV users, I use the KJV, King James Version. And for those who will only drive a GM product, I drive a Chevy. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some of them. I was reading, but I was trying to find out where the amens came in there. <laughs> As we look at this, and of course my tongue is in my cheek when I, when I put this down. And, I, and I, when I start out by saying I genuinely love you as a church family, that's true. So I want to be very careful here. Because what we want to do is we want to hold so strongly to one side. Or else throw everything out and hold so strongly to the other side. Or work, work like crazy to be right in the middle all the time. And can I suggest that for some church families and for some church leaders that very possibly those might look like very different things. This is why God, the picture of God's church is so beautiful. He does not use a cookie cutter to go and to just develop each church. There are some things that a good church is going to have in common, but very much so when you go to a different place and you find a family of believers, there is going to be some differences. Here is a takeaway. If you're taking notes and you want a takeaway we need to know when to be absolutely inflexible and when to bend. And I want to suggest three applications that I will bring up at the end. We need to be absolute, we need to know when to be inflexible and when to bend. And in order to do this, and I think what you'll see, go ahead and turn back to um, Acts 21 if you're not there. Acts 21, I think, and what I'm hoping that you'll see is three things that allowed them to accomplish this. And those things were an incredible amount of wisdom that they had, a spirit of humility, and a heart for the gospel. If you would right now put those three things up in your antenna, okay, and look for those as we go through these verses. It's going to take wisdom, it's going to take humility, and a heart for the gospel to know how we do this. All right, we are um, in, in Acts chapter 21. Just to give a little bit of review, if you've not been a part of this already, what we are at now is something that's important in the book of Acts because we started out in Acts with uh, Pentecost, really, and Peter, and he goes through and we learn some wonderful lessons. And then Acts transitions to focusing on Peter's ministry to focusing on whose ministry? It was Paul's ministry. He goes and he gets saved and he ministers and he goes on three different missionary journeys. And at this point in Acts 21, he's coming to the very end of his missionary journeys. Although he will still preach. Paul will preach in chains. He will very much so have a ministry. And so he's coming to this point and this is, if you will, the last thing that he's able to do as a free man. Because as we will see next time, he's going to be arrested and just and the rest of the time that we see him, he is in some kind of bondage. He's under arrest, and he's ministering in a different way. All right, verse number 17 of Acts 21 says this. We, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly, 
On the following day, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, you see, my brother, you see, brother, how many thousands there are of the Jews, of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. All right, let's go ahead and look at verses 17, 18, and 19 right here. Because the Apostle Paul, and he, he had given missionary reports before, but he comes now to Jerusalem, and he meets with the leaders there, and he's giving a report. He gives this missionary report of what took place to James. Now, when we think of James, oftentimes our, our mind goes right to Peter, James, and John, that inner three. Some people sang a little song, Peter, James, and John in a little sailboat. That's not the James we're talking about here. The James that he's giving a report to here that's a leader at the church of Jerusalem is actually the half-brother to Jesus Christ. That's who he's coming to um, talk to, as well as the rest of the elders. It doesn't tell us how many elders are there, but as we'll see in a moment, the church um, if you, if, as we've studied up to Acts 5, the church in Jerusalem is at least 20,000 people. And that's about 20 years before this. So some people estimate between 25 and 50,000 people is the size of this church. So if you're one that gets uptight over big churches, it's hard to make a case for not having a big church when we look at this one here in Jerusalem. And the responsibility on those church leaders to minister to those people effectively so paul goes to james and the elders and he tells about the many things that have been done among the gentiles the, um, by the way this man james brother of jesus christ he was one that somebody said of uh, one of the historians said james's knees were like those of a camel because all of the time he spent in prayer and so even though he had jesus as an older brother being a half uh, a half brother he very much so knew he had to depend on the Holy Spirit. And Paul, the Bible says here, he related to them, to these leaders, one by one what took place. So what do you think he said? What was the missionary report like? Now, I know some people in churches, and when they hear the word missionary report, sometimes their shoulders go down. They don't get excited about that sometimes. People even joke about that sometimes. What would this missionary report that Paul gave look like. Remember, he, didn't, he couldn't send an email. and He hadn't talked to them on the phone. So he's going through all these things that we've been studying about in the last several weeks. And so he might, it might have sounded something like this. You guys have seen those little statues of the goddess Diana, right? Yeah, over in Ephesus. Oh boy. When the gospel was preached over there in Ephesus, there was such a riot. Because what happened was these guys that make these things were losing their money and I just about got lynched right there. It was a horrible scene. And so he's giving this report to the church leaders. And he probably mentioned in there, you know what saved me? Not me in standing up and giving my defense. The church clerk stepped in and he saved everything and God worked beautifully. Very possibly he would have mentioned Aquila and Priscilla. Is it possible that a church leader that a missionary, an evangelist could be ready to quit at one point? And I can't help but think that he shared with them Aquila and Priscilla. They came when I was at my lowest point and they encouraged me. I worked side by side with them making tents and they helped me out and they traveled and they gave the gospel these wonderful, wonderful saints. I hope you get to meet them someday. 
I wonder if Paul told the story that we talked about about Eutychus. Do you remember Eutychus? You guys remember him? So Paul's preaching and it's late into the night and this young man Eutychus is in the window there and Paul preaches so long this guy falls asleep, falls out the window down to his death and he's able to share that report, that story. And I can imagine that maybe some of those that knew Paul would think, boy, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often, Paul, when you preach because you preach so long. He gives this missionary report one by one and as the brothers hear it, they are glad to see him. This is all good fellowship. This is everything is good because the elders and the leaders, these mature ones, they were glad to see Paul. But everybody else in the church, not so much. All the others, n- not really. You see, we're moving into a place here where there's going to be a problem among the Jewish believers, this church that had grown. Let me back up and read verse number 20 again. It says, And when they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They are zealous for the law. Don't miss this. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So we get the picture here. The whole church was not gathering together to get this. But the elders, and here's what they said. They said, Paul, you know when you were in Ephesus, that church had a specific problem, probably related to the area where they lived. You know when you were in Corinth, that church, yeah, it had a problem. Paul, we have a problem in our church here. You see, we've had thousands upon thousands. The word that's used there is the same word to describe angels. So tens of thousands of believers. And there were people that were influencing them that were called Judaizers. If you think right now, and you can probably think of a church, and some people will say a line like this, you know what that church's problem is? That church's problem is, and fill in the blank, and they might say it year after year, and they might have an opinion. I think that these church leaders are sharing with Paul right now, we've got a problem, and it's the Judaizers that are here. And what's happening, Paul, is um, they are telling people that you are against these things that we hold very dear and the idea is they're drilling into them so the judaizers were ones that were drilling into people you need to be careful of paul paul is being accused of being against the laws of moses he's being accused of forbidding circumcision circumcision they say we have thousands who have become christians and the main struggle is these judaizers now that word judaizers just means christian a simple definition for us is Christians who would insist that others had to follow the Old Covenant. And then you find some lies in the Bible. At least four lies in verse number 21. That they had been telling about Paul. Look at it again, verse number 21. And they have been, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews, number one, who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, number two, Telling them not to circumcise their children, number three, or walk according to the customs, lie number four. They were not saying, we're just going, you know, this is very much a part of what we're facing. What should we do? That's what they say in the next verse. What, the next words, what should we do here? Let me give one little side application. 
I'm not gonna talk about it very long, but many of you know, many of you understand the power of words. Many of you understand that even though a person might not be a leader in a church, even though a person might not know a whole lot of people, when an individual starts to use their words and spread those words around, it can have an incredibly good or an incredibly bad effect. Gossip is something that can tear down a leader, can make a ministry ineffective. Words that get said, rumors, and that's what's going on here, rumors about the Apostle Paul and these men who would say, watch out for Paul. It can destroy a woman's or a man's effectiveness for Christ. And this damage of words is why God instructed in his word in in 1 Timothy that you do not receive an accusation against a church leader, against an elder, without two or three witnesses. We are stewards of our words. I've had times where I have spoken something, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I automatically, I think the Holy Spirit was saying, oh, shouldn't have said that. When in doubt, don't. Be very, very careful. Because every one of us, every one of us has a certain level of assuming that we are doing. All right? Some people have a whole lot of assuming that we are doing. And when you say things, you spread rumors out loud based on your assumptions, it can be very, very damaging. One person um, appropriately said, even though a rumor doesn't have any legs to stand on, it moves awfully fast, doesn't it? And so we find here there's a problem, and then we see their reaction. We find their reaction in verses 23 through 26. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took the men the next day, and he purified himself along with them, and went in the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. So we see Paul coming in, giving the report. We find out there were rumors being spread about Paul. It was not known. They didn't know he was there, but they said, surely they're going to find out that you're here. What shall we do? And it seems to me there was already a little bit of foresight in this. They had an opportunity for Paul to do something that was going to show that he was not against the law. Now, let me give you two perspectives on this. Two perspectives. The first perspective is the perspective from the shepherds, the elders that are here. By the way, did it step, jump out to anyone else that these men didn't ask Paul, do you think this is a good idea? But instead, these church leaders, these elders said, do this. It's not a question. It's, it's, it's a directive. Paul, you're going to do this. I think that speaks well of the transition where the church began on the shoulders of the apostles and the prophets and that authority transferred over to the elders, the church leaders. And I think that reflects this here. And so the shepherds look at this, and what is on their mind is this. What is best 
for this church family in Jerusalem. Because these leaders, whether it was 60 or 80 or 100 elders, these leaders, they had to continue with this ministry. Paul was going to go, but they had to stand there and love and care for these people. And can I go ahead and say this? Some of them would know very well, well, this one here that I care for and love, that I'm shepherding over, this is their background. And there's no way that Paul could possibly know this. These people had a shepherd's heart. And so what they're going to do here, because a lot of us see it and you think, oh boy, here's an opportunity for Paul to blast them out of the water. Here we go. Paul, he can defend better than anybody. And he's going to step up and he's going to put all this nonsense to rest. I had a gentleman come to me a few years ago now. And he wanted very badly to get into Calvary and to stand in front of you. He's a believer. But there were some major differences that uh, he would hold from myself and from several of you as well. So I made the decision to not put him up here, to not have him address you as a congregation, because I love you. And there are many who would receive that and it would be no problem at all. And there are many others who would be just the world be turned upside down. What's going on here? And we have to use discretion sometimes. And sometimes we have to say no. So we have the shepherd's perspective and then we have Paul's perspective. And let me encourage you with this. Paul does not take this opportunity to flex. Flex his liberty, which he knew very well. In fact, just about probably 95% of what you know about Christian liberty, you learned it from Paul. He does not flex that at this point. And I want to remind us at this point, the books, the New Testament books that Paul had already written. He had already written Galatians. He had already written First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, and he had already um, written the book of Romans. And if you look in Romans... I think it's chapter, I think it's 15. He mentions this situation. I'm taking this offering to Jerusalem. Would you pray for me so that I can have a wonderful ministry to the Jews that are there? He anticipated something wonderful and big happening in Jerusalem. And let me just say this about the Apostle Paul. He was able to do this, what we just read, and and go along with this suggestion because Paul's ministry was defined by humility. This wonderful, wonderful servant who could argue with anyone, in my opinion. His ministry was defined by humility. So to counteract this problem, the suggestion is made to Paul. Pay the expenses of these four men. Now, we covered a Nazarite vow back in Acts chapter 18. Um, I have a handout if you want it. It's on the table when you walk out right between the two doors there. You can grab that because there's a difference between a Nazarene and taking a Nazarite vow. They are not the same thing. If you want to educate yourself, I made that copy available when we went over Acts 18. Now it's available again. But let's talk about that vow just for a second. A Nazarite vow was to, just to simplify it, it was to abstain from meat and wine and not cut their hair for 30 days. That's the one sentence version of that. I told you it seems like these leaders, they knew Paul was coming. And so they, it seems like they had this plan already there, ready to go. And what Paul would have to do specifically, so that's what folks want to know, what do I have to do? What's my job description if I sign up for this, this committee, this job? Paul would have to undergo, he didn't take the vow with them, but he would have to undergo a seven-day ritual of purification. He would have to pay for 
the sacrifices for these four men. There would be a she animal and a he animal. There would be a food sacrifice and a drink sacrifice. For all of them, this is going to be costly. And it was not uncommon that when men would take off, they would take off work for those 30 days. Some of the vows were 60 days or 90 days. But very possibly he would have paid their expenses while they did not work. So it cost him something. And what this would do, and let's see if we can ruffle our feathers a little bit, is this would demonstrate Paul's loyalty to the Torah. There's been something said about him and they're trying to combat that. It was also going to cost him a substantial amount of money. Now, let me mention one thing, because this does not change the decision at the Jerusalem Council. Back in Acts 15, they went through a very tough ordeal, and it did not change that, nor did it affect the Gentile believers that are with Paul. Those, there were four things the Gentiles were not to do, so they would not offend the Jewish believers. So you need to understand at this point in the church, there was a freedom for the people to observe the holy days, to observe certain dietary restrictions, they could do that, and there was a freedom to not do that. And there was no freedom to judge others. They could not judge someone else who was doing that. You see, the same grace that gave the Gentiles freedom to abstain is the same grace that gave the Jews the freedom to observe. Now, is this a big deal? As you look at this section in the scriptures, is this really that big of a deal? Let me tell you what one commentator that I really respect says, because he says this is a big deal. Pay attention, Bible student. There's something going on here that is horrific. Let me, let me give you his words. He says, Paul seems to have lost his spiritual discernment. Then he goes on to say, Paul joins the heresy. And then he says this, and this is where I question he says, this is one of the saddest sections in all the Bible. That's what he says. And when I'm think, chewing on that, the saddest sections of all the Bible, I'm thinking, well, you know, there was that time when all those babies in Bethlehem, those baby boys were killed. I think that's above this one, right? There was that time with David and Bathsheba and that public sin and murder, and that's pretty sad. And this guy's got it as one in his top five in the whole book. And so is it that big of a deal? Did Paul compromise here? Is that what's taking place? Well, I'll just give you my opinion of that. And by the way, you might have a different opinion than the person next to you, and that's okay. Study these things through for yourself. But as I look into God's word, I never see a time in the history of the Bible where God was shy about informing us of the sins of of his chosen leaders. Think in your mind right now. Can you think of one of the leaders of God that their sin has been, listen, recorded for all time? You know, and that's not a waste. Some of you had your mind go right to a character, maybe Moses and murder. Even when we think of, um, when, we've, when we complete this uh, two names together, David and Bathsheba, that's sin. And these have been recorded for us and the Bible will always be. Even when the Lord comes back for us and we all fly away, the Bible is always going to be here so there will always be a record of that but God does not waste it. Even this morning, somebody brought me this book to look at. It's called Perfectly Imperfect. Character sketches from the New Testament focusing on the shortcomings or the sins of people 
God was never shy about calling out somebody's sin so that you and I could learn from it. And I don't think that they regret it. Having said that, do I think that Paul was out of God's will here? I don't think so. I think that we would have some kind of information if this was sin, if it was out of God's will. And so I don't think Paul is out of God's will at this point. But something that I want us to look at, one more side note, and then I'll give you some applications, is that we need to guard against just looking. Don't miss this. We need to guard against just looking at the immediate results to judge if it was right or wrong. Have you seen that before? Have you ever seen somebody and something bad happened to them and so a Christian said, well, I'm not surprised with this going on in their life. We are so quick to judge. We are so quick to assume And we need to guard against only looking at the immediate result. And the reason I tell you that is because what we're going to talk about next. Because Paul's heart is to take this offering to Jerusalem. Paul's heart is to get there by this huge Pentecost feast. And as he goes there, and as they go through all of this work so he can have an audience with the Jewish believers, Paul never gets to stand up and give that gospel message that he anticipated. Some, some would say it failed. This whole idea of him taking on this, uh, helping these guys out with their vow, it all failed. He did not accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. It was a failure. But for those of you who are new believers, and for those of you who have been around for a long time, God has a wonderful way of teaching us that he definitely does work in mysterious ways. Oh, how my God works in mysterious ways that you could never know. Can you imagine the number of angels, if I can use this verbiage, the words, the number of angels that are around you, guiding you and guarding you, looking at where you're going here. And can I suggest to you that God doesn't clue you in on that? There are things going on that we do not even see what God is doing to care for his children. And so we definitely do walk by faith and not by sight. How many of you like sight better? But yeah, sight's a lot easier, isn't it? I like sight. But when you learn to walk by faith and see God accomplish what he's going to do in a way that we never could have imagined, we are blessed beyond measure. And so Paul, in his humility, says, I'm not going to blow up this church using my religious liberty in a way that I know I can. You see, what was driving Paul was the spread of the gospel, and he also loved the church. All right, so quickly, what can you do? I'm not sure if this came through from the text or not. What can you and I do? Well, first of all, we need to be constantly developing a mind of wisdom. I said last week that we we are constantly encouraging people to be in God's word, and so it should be almost a celebration time when the new daily breads are out. Several of you use the daily bread. It's got a great devotional in there. It's got a Bible reading schedule. If you use something else, that's wonderful. Use something else. But we need to get excited about taking God's word in because there's going to be a combination. These three things I'm going to give you. Develop a mind of wisdom, and that's beautiful, but it cannot stand on its own because next we have to walk in humility. If this church is not going to be blown up because someone had every right in the world to do what they did, We have to be, first of all, developing a mind of wisdom constantly, personally, seeking opportunities to take in God's word in a deeper way, walking in humility, 
Can I tell you something that every one of us in this room has in common? Every one of you has this in common. Are you ready? Some of you are thinking, I've got nothing in common with that girl over there or that guy over there. Every one of us has one mouth and two ears. Can I tell you my God in his wisdom gave you one mouth and two ears? God gave me one mouth and two ears. When we walk in humility, it means you look at someone in the eye and not just try to listen, but seek to understand them. What's genuinely going on? That's Christian love. One of our ABF groups covered the one another's. It was a couple years ago now, I think, wasn't it, Barry? The one another's of the Bible. Taking these things in. So constantly developing a mind of wisdom, constantly walking in humility, and then possessing a heart for the gospel. Possessing, so these, these, these three things, working in unity, working in love, would accomplish what God wanted to accomplish in this first century church. And these three things, working in unity, will accomplish what God wants to do in this place today. It takes discipline of God's word, but if you, of, of taking in God's word, but if you just have knowledge and you don't have these other ones, knowledge can very much so do what to you? It can puff you up. If you just have humility, you're not taking in knowledge, you're just gonna you know, bow down to everything anybody says. And if you're just on fire for the gospel and going out there without taking in God's word and without learning as you go, that's going to backfire as well. So these three things are a beautiful recipe for this church and it's a re- beautiful recipe for Calvary Bible Church in our day. These are things that we cannot do without and I love, as the church leaders get together with Paul, how they handle this situation. If you want to read ahead, I encourage you to do so. He doesn't get to preach. In fact, there's some more mess coming for the Apostle Paul. And we're going to turn the page after his final missionary journey, after his report that he gives to the church. And now he's going to begin preaching in chains. But listen to me, listen to me. It does not mean that he was ineffective. It does not mean that his ministry was over. And how many of you have had that thought? Something happens that turns everything upside down. This is not what I planned. This is not how I wrote out my life. This is not what so-and-so's life looks like. And so it's all done. Do you understand how mysteriously God can work? And he works in Paul in such a beautiful way and in you. So even if you think, God, take me home now. I'll fly away today, Lord. And I know some of you think that thought. I know it. Don't think it. God has you here for a reason. He will not waste anything. And even if it's something of your own doing that's happened, God is the best, as I call him, the best lemonade maker in the history of the world. So you make lemons, gallons and gallons of lemons, and he makes beautiful lemonade out of it for his purposes. That's what he does. And so we might scratch our heads at some things that take place like this and why in the world is Paul doing this after all that work that he did? Is he undoing the things for Christian liberty? I don't think so. But even more importantly, God was in what he was doing. And even more important than your story and what you're facing today and where you're at with humility or wisdom or evangelism, God being in what you're doing is the most important factor. He will use these and he will use our church family 
as we continue to work for eternity. Would you bow with me in prayer? Patient, loving, merciful, and holy, all-present, all-powerful God. So much going on that we would become paralyzed with if we saw everything that's going on that you're in control of. And yet you control all of these things and you still know each one of us by name. You know what is on our heart. You know the things that we will face in the upcoming days and weeks. Nothing catches you by surprise. You've never been surprised, God. And we thank you for that. Help us to walk by faith and use these three tools as we go so that we can impact eternity. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play a stanza on the piano. I want you to pray at this time. Talk to God, whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart. You might be here today and you've never become a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. I would invite you to make today of your salvation. Hang around afterwards. Find myself or someone else that you trust. Ask them how you can become a Christian, become saved. 